Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Outlook Industries podcast. It's your host, Trevor Johnson, and today we have a great episode for you. It is Jared McNeil. He is a 15 times X Games medalist, nine of which are gold, and he has ridden for Nitro Circus for years. Before that, he rode for the Krusty Dirt Demons, and he is originally from Australia. I met this guy at the Deadwood All In show that I wrote in um, a couple weekends ago, and he was just one of those people that was so stoked on life and just super nice. And I was like, I have to get this guy on the podcast. So here he is. He we had a great conversation. He has a lot of great things to say, and he is just such a wholesome and nice guy. And yeah, I enjoyed talking to him a whole lot. So thank you, Jared, again for coming on the podcast. And let's get right into this one. It's the Outlook Podcast. We're here with the Outlook Podcast. Yeah. Just as we're here, we're talking to cool people. Hey guys, welcome back to the Outlook Industries Podcast. I'm here today with Jared McNeil. Jared, how you doing? Good mate, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for taking some time out to do this. Uh, first off, for the people who may not know who you are, who are you? What do you do? Kind of, where did you grow up? Those kind of things. Yep. So uh, I guess um, what about to turn thirty years old next month. Um, from originally from Australia, so born and bred in Australia. So being here for ten years in America, I ride freestyle motocross uh, professionally. So compete in the X Games. I got. Uh, Got 15 medals, nine golds, and uh, tour with the Nitro Circus crew uh, pretty much all year round besides the last year. But, um, yeah, we're starting to kick things back off in, I think, uh, what, August. So, yeah, tour with those guys and, um, yeah, just live on the edge. Yeah, you, uh, as far as action sports are concerned, you're kind of living the dream. I'm kind of wondering how you got into FMX and how you just like because i i know that you motocross raced before you did fmx so like yep. how'd that transition work and how'd you get into like x games and stuff like that yeah so i uh, grew up racing motocross as a as a young kid so i have an older brother an older sister and a younger brother so uh we all, we all grew up racing motocross not my sister but she was you know a supporter of us but just grew up racing motocross with my brothers and um like most things it just kind of started off at the local motocross track and um like doing little club events and then moved into like state championships and then australian titles and i became a high-ranked australian champion motocross racer at what, 16 years old and um kind of seen uh freestyle around the same time as i was australian champion amateur i was playing around with freestyle just in the backyard and um got a couple of shows like gigs with uh cam sinclair and blake williams bilko and next thing you know i was doing shows and making a living off freestyle motocross and kind of uh kind of got pushed to freestyle motocross because of uh my racing the the support wasn't there even though i should have had support from uh the the racing teams and stuff at that time uh coming off an australian championship as a young kid and um kind of watched watched the motocross industry that i put all my time and money and effort into just falling around me 
and uh yeah it wasn't getting the support that i needed and freestyle i was starting to make an, a bit of a name for myself getting more shows uh got on crusty demons in 2008 so that was kind of like my introduction into the freestyle touring world like traveling i'd got to go over to uh new zealand for the first time ever in uh 2009 and do an actual tour so that was like the opening thing for me and that kind of kicked off my freestyle career and at the same time as i was doing freestyle with crusty i was racing professional supercross and motocross and um yeah basically wasn't making any money riding a motorcycle doing racing so uh freestyle i was making a bit of a living and getting to travel the world and have fun riding which was a lot different than racing because racing it was always training putting in the hard yards and just getting busted up and then freestyle it was like i could go and express myself have fun with the fans and get paid to do it it was pretty sweet so i guess yeah 2010 was a big change for me um got my very first invite to uh nitro circus which kind of transitioned from crusty demons over to nitro circus got invited to nitro circus um got on my very first yeah nitro circus tour and uh was lucky enough to have travis pastrana uh vouching for me but he um he got me a position at x games like kind of put my word uh, put a put a word out there for me and got my name out there with the guys at x games and uh what july 2010 i got my very start of july 2010 i got my very first invite and uh yeah. came to x games yeah, ju end of july it was and on my what 19th birthday i got my very first medal a silver medal so uh that's yeah. kind of like the the shortish kind of long version i guess yeah um i have a few questions that come from that but first yeah yeah um, how yeah how did you kind of as a kid think of you're gonna be like a professional supercross racer like when did that happen like the whole like racing thing um so i started riding bikes at two and a half so i was or, like having an older brother i think influenced me to be into motorcycle riding like that was my influence it was my older brother and um i don't know what like yeah i don't know just freaking the just the the way it went i guess um just growing up being so into motocross with our family i think going to the local races and meeting people and um that kind of that kind of kicked off my riding i guess just the passion and then going and racing local events and then you know traveling away on the weekends with my family my you know just camping out all of our friends were at the tracks racing and um yeah it was like the best part of my childhood growing up was racing motocross and it was awesome i'm like i loved racing motocross but um yeah i guess it, it transitioned to freestyle um i didn't think as a kid i guess i don't i don't know as a kid i thought i was going to be a professional racer like i thought i was going to come to america and yeah i made it to a professional career with racing i, I got to my pro ranks but um my whole childhood dream was to be a professional motocross racer and a farmer that's all i ever wanted to be oh yeah so, so then it, then it was kind of weird because i got into freestyle motocross not really like wanting it as a career but i guess watching travis pastrana like as a kid you were like he didn't just ride tracks he tried to do tricks you'd see him jump over a pond and do a no footer and that was like oh that was sick you know so yeah i think that made me want to do more than just be a racer but i love racing like i wanted to be a racer but 
it was like I love to do other things. I love to like be a show off and kind of show my other skills, not just that I was a racer. So I think that helped with the freestyle world. Um, but yeah, coming like uh, dreaming as a kid, I always wanted to come to America and live the American dream and uh, race. Originally, it was racing in America was the dream, and then I guess when you're in that like motion and your career is starting to pave its way and then next minute you get an invite to go to x games for a different discipline in the sport it's kind of changed my whole thinking but then it's like i just ran with whatever it was going at that point you know like it at at the start it was a childhood dream that started to pick up traction And then it was next minute, here I am in America living that childhood dream, but just in a different type of, like, in a different discipline in my sport. So it was kind of, I'd made it in a different way. So it was (laughs) kind of like, threw me off. (laughs) Not exactly how you thought you would, but you... Yeah, Um, not exactly, but but I'll take it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm loving it. Like, I made it here for something that I wasn't even really dreaming of. That's what's crazy is like, I was so dedicated to dreaming of motocross that that's what I thought was going to bring me here was racing. And then um, freestyle brought me here. I ended up going and racing like a pro national in 2014 and um, using my freestyle money to fund it all and do all that. So it's kind of, kind it's of weird. Role. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be that racing is where the money's at, right? <laughs> you would think so. I mean, I think with racing, it's. Um, See, with freestyle, you can get into freestyle, I think, with a lower budget. So, like, people can kind of get into the sport. They can kind of pick it up. And it maybe if you know somebody that has a compound, it's more of an easier maybe thing to get into and make a living from if you're good at it and you do shows and tricks and backwhips and all that stuff. Racing in the first part is very expensive. Your parents will spend mega amounts of money trying to keep you racing till you get to the pro ranks. And that when you get to the pro ranks, either the racing has to start making some funding or your parents' bank accounts going down. Yeah. So it's like, I think with freestyle, if you get in and you get in with the right people and they can get you to shows and that, you can actually make an income and a living off of it. Um, at the start, it might not be the best living, but you can get, you can make money, you know what I mean? And then, and then it'll grow if you get better and better. With racing, you have to do the hard yards at the, at the start as far as the money and investing into racing and that but the thing is too is if you do make it to the top level to stay in the top level it's it's insane amounts of money and support and sponsorships and that so i think you can make money in the long run if you make it professionally in racing but to get to that top 10 group of the 450 250 guys and make a living that's that's really really hard so yeah uh, if you don't have the support um uh, there's a lot of politics in motocross too. So um, if you're not down to do certain things or be a play play certain games, you'll get pushed out of it real quick. And um, that's probably what happened a lot to me. I didn't like to lower my standards to that crap. So um, yeah, freestyle was freestyle was what it is, right? Yeah. You also said before that you were worried about breaking yourself off in racing, so you do freestyle. That blows my mind because I feel like the injuries are higher in freestyle. Is that not true? Yeah, I mean, it's different too. Like, I think it's probably the same in a way, but um, I think it's wearing yourself out, like burning yourself out more so than literally breaking yourself off, I suppose. I'd, I'd rephrase it. Like, you, 
with racing, you kind of every weekend you're racing, racing, racing. You're training. You're you know you you get to an age when you get to like you know fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, where you really, if you're a top racer, you have to start training. Like at fifteen year old, at fifteen years old, I was going to the gym and training and cycling and like that's all we did and it was and don't get me wrong it's fun like if you can find a happy medium with it and that it's definitely i mean in the long run it, it pays off but yeah it's pretty it's pretty hard you get pretty burnt out a lot of kids will get burnt out you've done it for me like i've done it my whole i started riding at two and a half so i started racing um what around nine ten years old and when you've done it for so long and you do the same thing on a motorcycle the same routine it can it can get so repetitive that people can get burnt out and not have fun with it anymore and you know it kind of plays a big part so um you know for me moving into freestyle kind of like i guess in a way my whole amateur career up until like you know 17 18 was just racing 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 and i was never burnt out i just didn't get that next opportunity to keep pushing to the racing in america that stuff right so yeah i didn't get burnt out i just didn't get the support to keep me going that far but then at the same time i picked up another sport in another part of the sport so i transitioned to freestyle and it almost opened up a whole new like world for me like it, it helped me like maybe put more time onto my sport and i enjoy riding a bike more now because i'm not burnt out from racing if that makes sense yeah. like it maybe made my career longer because i've spent so much time racing and now i've spent a lot of time doing freestyle so it just opened it up a little bit yeah it's a little bit more expressive and creative which is fun yeah yeah exactly yeah uh, so. um how did you end up getting an invitation to do shows in the first place and then what was the invitation to nitro like and how did you end up getting that yeah so that one that's a crazy story so um Basically, I guess uh, Cameron Sinclair took me to my first ever freestyle show in Broken Hill, the middle of nowhere, Australia, where Mad Max actually, Mad Max was filmed in this town. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in the middle. And that was like a desert, like mining town. And that was my very first, like one of my very first introductions to a, like an Aussie freestyle show. And um, after doing that, I got to do a couple more shows with Cam and he kind of got my foot in the door at different shows. And, um, and then uh, Krusty Demons were, there was Jackson Strong, um, who's obviously top X Games and uh, a gold yeah. medalist in freestyle. And, and uh, so me and him are around, we're the same age. We're both born in 91. And uh, we're, you know, just young Groms coming up. And they, Krusty Demons back then used to have Groms. And Jacko was on the, on the spot for that. Um, he'd been on there for a year or so, a couple of years touring with them and Krusty Demons as a, as a Grom and um, Cam and Bilko kind of got me in the door and set like as another Grom. So it was like me and Jacko were the two Groms on tour, um, which actually ended up turning into three of us, which was Levi Sherwood. So there was three of us oh, at the okay. end, but it's pretty sick. But um, yeah, just kind of um, my introduction was like Cam Sinclair and Bilko really just getting my foot in the door with those, like showed, like obviously doing a couple of shows prior, I kind of established a bit of a name. And then obviously from my racing background, um, I had a bit of a name from that. So that really helped in uh, getting my foot in the door. And um, Krusty Demons came to a local show in Shepparton, which was about an hour and a bit from my house. And um that was really my introduction that was like hey come to this show you can ride it you can be the grom and do you know a handful of jumps in the show and 
um, yeah, who knows what will happen. So I went and did the show. It was my first ride and did really well. And then they invited me to go to the next show, which was Wagga Wagga, which was about another, about two hours from where I live, where Jackson Strong actually lives. So it was a local okay. show for him. So we got to do both of those two places, which was sick. And that was uh, 2008. So that was my introduction there. And then 2009 rolled around and they were like, hey, do you want to come to New Zealand for a tour? So that was my very first tour on Krusty Demons. And, um, you know, I think we did like a six-stop tour or whatever it was. And um, the wildest, wildest, like I'm 17, 18 at the time, and it was just yeah. wild. Like Krusty Demons were just, they were loose. And, and at the end of Krusty Demons was pretty, a bit more tamer than at the start of the guys, like the original OGs. But dude, yeah. it was, that was some wild memories, I can tell you that. <laughs> just um, crazy stuff. Just being around those dudes. Um, so yeah, that thing, obviously, 09 finished up the year with them. I did uh, Supercross that same year. So I did um, Oz SX, which was Chad Reed and... Um, uh, Mike Pora basically started up Oz SX, which was a big Supercross series that we had. So I did the halftime freestyle competition and show and then raced uh, the 250 class. Um, so did that. And um, so that was the end of finished off 09. Then 2010 rolled around and Krusty, uh, sorry, Krusty Demons was falling off the face of Earth now. And, yeah. Hey, stop it. And uh, the, the, uh, the Nitro Circus was starting to evolve. So we had. Um, my dog's, my dog's going nuts. Oi! My other dog's outside, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> what kind of dog you yeah, I got two pit bulls, so... Okay. Yeah, pit bulls. Is, but, um, oi, let me lock him out. That's the gotcha. interesting. Come on, oh, you're good. Outside. Go, or you won't be quiet. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, so... um. Yeah, back to that. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, oh, uh, so 2010 came around. Krusty uh, was falling off the face of Earth, and uh, Nitro Circus was the new wave of live action sports. So that was coming up. And, um, yeah, basically a lot of us guys from Krusty actually got picked to come and do um, Nitro Circus because we'd been doing tours for a few years now. So that whole live show was something that they needed. and um they just needed to change the show and make it bigger and better so um yeah they brought us in and uh, it was kind of funny because my first ever actual show i hadn't done the backflip uh to 75 feet to dirt at that time so my kind of in for the nitro circus tour was hey you had to do a backflip and <laughs> yeah uh, I, I was like i mean i'd flip to dirt off 45 foot off the super kicker or 50 foot and that just something was like I really struggled with the backflip on the motorcycle. Like as yeah. far as 75, like it was like something that has always played a big part of my career is like I've struggled with the flip. So um, when uh, when I was – that was put on me to do a flip, I, I honestly – I struggled. I gave in. I couldn't, couldn't nail the flip, but I couldn't just get my head around doing it at 75 feet to dirt. Even though I'd done smaller gaps to dirt, I just – for some reason, I don't know, just – didn't want to over rotate it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Didn't want to over rotate, didn't want to under rotate, didn't want to mess it up. So um we were out practicing before tour and Travis was practicing the tandem flip with some random people to try and get the tandem backflip or the two-person backflip yeah. at that point. And um 
he was out practicing at the same place that I was practicing to do the backflip in the foam pit. And, um, and I was just riding and I was just doing pretty gnarly turndowns and whips and stuff. And Travis was pretty stoked on it. And, um, I didn't really think too much of that. And then, uh, the night before the show, like the, the manager was like, Hey, we can't have you in the show. Like you didn't flip, blah, blah, blah. Like that was part of the deal. Like you're just going to have to watch the first show and then, uh, we'll send you home, um, after that. So, yeah. so I basically kicked off tour at that point, like I was done. And, um, and then because I didn't flip, so I was like, fuck, this is kind of crazy. So <laughs> I went home, I went home that week and, it was just like over it and uh my buddy actually got my spot my buddy matt one of my best mates matt lewis got my spot and uh he actually ended up hitting accidentally hitting the ramp in first gear at the first show that the first sydney show which was the week later and he um basically took down a bunch of riders and like they had to they had to replace some dudes they had to replace my buddy who got hurt and um they replaced it with joel brown which is another freestyler yeah and then Joel crashed on the second night in Sydney. So random. So the first night in Sydney was Matt. Second night was Joel. And they're like, after the Saturday night, they're like, hey, they called me and like, hey, look, we need you to come to Sydney tomorrow. It's like an eight-hour drive for me. I'm like, my bike was still on tour because I was supposed to be on tour. Yeah. So they're like, hey, come on, come down, come to Sydney. If you can make it here by tomorrow afternoon, we'll put you on tour and um yeah you just have to do your whips and your tricks and you don't have to flip and i'm like well sweet that's perfect so <laughs> when did the show got back on tour i went to the melbourne tour which was another like that's my home city that was the closest city for me so that's a big one for me and um got on that and uh was back on tour and at the same melbourne show back then they had um x games china which was like a just like kind of a it was by X Games. It was kind of a low-budget, cheap China X Games that yeah. happened for multiple years, but it wasn't like you didn't get official X Games medals and stuff like that. It was just more entertainment. Yeah. Um, so they were – the management group came back. One of the guys came back through from X Games, was flying back through Australia to go back to LA and called in and he's like, hey, uh, Travis is like, dude, you need to check this kid out. Like his whips are insane. Like he would be a great – asset for x games and you should think about maybe bringing him and putting him part of it and next thing you know he looked at me and must have thought i was doing pretty good and probably a month out before x games like the end of june start of july they called me and were like hey but you know travis was like hey you, you're gonna have an invite i'm giving you an early heads up and literally like a week later x games invited me to, and i uh, got to go to my very first x, x Games. so it was like long story but yeah it's uh wow. pretty crazy See, like my career was like teeter totting on two of my mates going down. Basically, I would if those two didn't crash, I probably wouldn't have came back on tour. I probably would. I'd be probably driving tractors on a farm right now. Wow! <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's really the changing, like turning point in my career. So a couple, a couple of them, like a racing changing point to freestyle, yeah. and then like pretty much being told I was off tour and my career was done almost to then being back on tour and getting an invite to X games. It's just like in, in about three, in the three from 08 to 2010, there was probably some like pretty up and down changes in my career and life for sure. Yeah. How, like, what do you compete in, in X games? My very first one was, um, best whip. So that's what I got invited for. So okay. yeah, got a silver, my very first ever, 
X Games best whip, and um, and then obviously it evolved. I got my second event I got into was speed and style, so I got to do that one year. That was really sick. That's where you used to you'd race the track, but then you'd have ramps in there, so you had to do tricks while racing another another competitor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then um, and then my third discipline was uh was step up. That's one of my probably one of my most medaled events as well. Where you go like high jump, where you have to step up over the bar. Oh um, right, kind of like at school where you had to jump high jump where you jump yeah. over the bar, yeah, just with a motorcycle. So, wow, yeah. cool, yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, did you know Travis before you got on Nitro? No, nah, never, never. He was just my childhood dream idol, you know, like guy that I looked up to. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, he, hadn't, he hadn't was on Krusty before you, right? No, nah, he actually never really rode Krusty. Um, oh, okay. he. He was more just um, their Krusty Demons was more uh, like uh, like Brian Deegan, Mike Metzger, Kerry Hart. Right. Like um, Travis never really did the Krusty stuff. He was in the videos. Yeah. He was always in the Krusty videos and stuff. But as far as like live shows was like more Deegan, Vice, Twitch, like the metal, the, the like hardcore metal militia dudes. Right. Yeah. Because I knew that yeah. there's like, I knew that uh, Travis was a part of the videos. I just didn't know that he w- didn't ride in the shows, I guess. Um, but he kind of got his idea for Nitro through that, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, as far as, like, like Mike Pora, who was one of the owners of Nitro Circus, part owners, um, basically, they all uh, came together and started up um, Nitro Circus. So part owner of Krusty got out of Krusty and came over to Nitro Circus and then a bunch of people from the Nitro family, which is like, you know, Travis, Jolene, Jim DeChamp, all those guys, like they all, you know, they had the MTV series at that point. So basically it was like a live TV show and a live production show, the kind of Krusty Demons and the and the Nitro Circus that they kind of, they came together to make Nitro Circus, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. So like at the end of Krusty Demons, it started to be at the start of Krusty, it was like all the hardcore metal militia partying, you know, all yeah. that gnarly stuff. And then it went to more the sport kind of changed to like the Nate Adams, like the Adam Jones, a bit more cleaner cut, like more professional side of the sport. Yeah. So when it transitioned to the cleaner cut side of the sport, that was at the same time as like Krusty Demons was kind of like going out. And they needed like something new and fresh. And it was kind of like at the same time as the MTV Nitro Circus stuff. So it kind of, they kind of like molded together to make like a nice, good family orientated show, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, yeah, makes sense. Um, Yeah. I'm kind of also wondering like, obviously, like this has been a big part of your life. It is your life at this point. But uh, what do you do when you're not riding your motorcycle? Like, what do you like to do in your free time? Uh, just just drive tractors really just okay. make jumps or do work on projects uh, i like to yeah like stay busy and work for stuff so uh just um spend a lot of time on my tractors like my cat equipment just messing around building stuff or work like doing little jobs around the area or um welding stuff love welding and playing cool. just yeah like being out just i like hands-on stuff so just yeah being out in the shop working on my bikes, tinkering on stuff, building stuff, making things. And yeah. Yeah. That's, yep. that's awesome. How did, when did you learn how to weld and how? Uh, 
when I when I left school at uh, what fifteen years old, I left school pretty like fourteen and nine months. Fifteen years old, I left school. Um, yeah. dropped out, and um, my parents said like if I wanted to leave school at that point, I was doing really well at racing. So um that was when i was kind of like finishing school transitioning into being a professional racer around that same time and um my parents said to me if you want to quit school um you've got to get a job for a little bit we want you to see what it's like to have a job you know and um, my buddy at the time was like 22 23 and he had a welding shop like he had his own business and uh Basically, I set up with him that if I let, if I signed out of school, I could go and work with him. So, worked with him for probably like seven or eight months welding, and then riding. I was actually starting to get even better with riding and more show, uh, comp- like more competitions, like events and stuff, and um, going and racing a lot more and getting like that was when I was kind of becoming an Australian champion. So I was winning state titles and championships. So um, basically racing kind of took over from the welding and i kind of moved away from it but um this was a really cool like hobby that or like not hobby but a job that turned into now it's like a hobby i just like yeah. enjoy well building stuff um i don't know with metal you can kind of build whatever you want ramps um just yeah all kinds of contraptions weld up my machinery like equipment fix things like that and yeah it's pretty good well, welding is one of those skills that's just like really, really nice to be able to know how to do, especially when you're working yeah. around so much metal all the time. Because I'm, yeah, sure, exactly. I'm sure you build your own ramps and fix a lot of your own parts or or uh, machinery or whatever. So, yeah. exactly, yeah, it's fun. Uh, like it, it's like it's so creative. You can just get so creative with it. Like it's um, kind of like building jumps with a machine. Like you you have an idea in your head, and then you start measuring and cutting and welding and next thing it's like in front of you so yeah i enjoy that yeah um what sponsors do you have and how did you kind of get on with them yep um i mean uh yeah i've had a lot of sponsors all through my whole whole career um yeah it's uh kind of one of those things like obviously when you start getting results and um doing well at events and um a lot of days like a lot of stuff nowadays is like um kind of sucks but it's come to it like social media following and stuff like that so that a lot of companies and brands look at your your social following not to say like you need to go out and earn it all right you need to go out and like earn your spot like earn you earn your keep and um kind of stand out in the sport in some way or another and have some sort of accomplishments and things like that um behind you um but yeah, sponsors look at all of that stuff as, as a wide variety of like, you know, uh, competitions, um, what, like how you are with your fans, being out there. Um, yeah, all of that stuff, you're following all of that stuff is really important. Um, for me, I mean, honestly, like Monster, these guys are one of my biggest sponsors. Um, they're awesome. They back me um, with everything I do. So uh, they're awesome to have. And obviously, as you'd see, a lot of the big energy drink companies are all over the top dudes in the sport. Um, so they're probably like your top your top tier sponsors. Um, Yamaha manufacturer, which is the most amazing sponsor you could probably get. Um, me, there's like only probably a handful of riders like me, Tom Pejes, David Renato. There's probably like three or four riders in the world that get support for freestyle motocross from a manufacturer like Yamaha or to get Yamaha to sponsor. So it's 
it's pretty amazing. Um, just did a deal with Fly Racing, so that's a new one for me. Fly is pretty sick. They're a well-established established brand, and uh, they make really cool products, so pretty stoked to work with them. Um, man, I got my list of sponsors goes on. It could be, yeah. could be days. Um, Havoc Racing, which is a goggle sponsor, and sunglasses, they're pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, got got a lot of good good paying sponsors. A lot of people that support me, and um, yeah, dude, honestly, couldn't do it without without sponsors. Yeah. I mean, those things like just being able to fund a bike, like to be able to keep bikes moving, you know, oils, blood lubricants, all those Dunlop tires, all those parts that wear out, bars, handlebars, rental bars, like all that stuff is forever wearing or bending, as you would know with yeah. what you do. Yeah, it's like having all those people that can kind of even offset, like. You know, people. There's a lot of sponsors in the sport that pay and like help us out financially, but then there's all those also the companies that are supporting us through products and things like that, which keep us not spending out of pocket and keep the keep the equipment rolling and functioning well. So, yeah, it's a kind of a good team. Um, I'm lucky that I've got the support that I do. Um, like, I mean, riding shows most of the year and competitions are like. Last year we had nothing. COVID was insane, and being able to have support from, like, financial support from my sponsors is something that kept me going, which is amazing. Um, you know, you kind of—it's pretty hard to believe that companies will stay with you through the toughest times. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Because that's as far as freestyle motocross goes. That's one of the top incomes, probably, is sponsors, right? Yeah, exactly. If not shows, like, I mean, shows yeah. would be biggest income, but um, as long as you have the shows all year round, um, otherwise, yeah, it's, it's the sponsors that, yeah. So do you, get, do you get paid by event by Nitro or is it like a contract? Um, we get, we all have different, we all have different, uh, different things. So yeah, you kind of, kind of a bit of both, but um, yeah. mainly we, mainly, mainly, so like freestyle motocross, we're like, what we would call subcontractors so okay we're like we're like a heavy equipment operator you basically yeah. subcontract out to a to a company so i'm basically a contracted rider for nitro circus or whoever i ride for at that point like yeah if i go through like you know south dakota we did a show for james carter so basically i'm just contracted to ride that show and get paid to do the show so right basically you get paid per show yeah so yeah. If you don't do a show, you don't get paid. <laughs> People don't understand that too. Like this is in our sport. Like if you have an injury, you're not getting paid unless yeah. you get unless you have a sponsorships and do, and your contracts in your sponsorships allow you to keep getting paid while injured. You know, some contracts will say no payment while injured. Like it's a pretty crazy. You have a very small window to make a lot of money if you can, and yeah. uh, and that's when you're healthy and when you're able to compete and do shows and competitions. So recovery and staying like uninjured is like the most important part for your career, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Because that's where you, that's where you make your time to make a living, right? So yeah, yeah. It's uh, especially in a sport a, like your sport, which is so incredibly dangerous. Like you, me you can't like mess up a trick and bail. Like you're still getting bodied. Like yeah, super dangerous. And then it's real cutthroat. Like you know, you go yeah. like there's there's. There's rather riders out there, like people that will undercut you for a better price, or but you know it's like it's it's pretty cutthroat. So you kind of downtime's not good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
what kind of like have you noticed as far as like things changing with airbags has it become more safe do you like airbags do you like dirt landings like how does it how has that been um personally yeah like i'm a i've got like mixed opinions like um yeah i love airbags they're, they're changing the sport um they're making the sport gnarlier but they're safer in certain ways too so to be able to yeah. be as gnarly as we want to be they've come at the right time so um i'm glad they came out when they did come out and not not necessarily early because it kind of made the sport the the, the hard like the hard ass like gnarly take it to dirt that's what our sport started with and that's what what it is so yeah i love the dirt fact i love going to dirt but sometimes you have to be smart about this and not all tricks need to be to dirt they need to have some sort of safety precaution around them so yeah i'm all for the airbag like i think they all play a big part in when you learn a trick like you know still you still use the foam pit you still use yeah. the airbag um so there's different you know most of the times you go learn a trick into the air but into the foam pit then you take it to the airbag then you take it to dirt or maybe take it to an airbag landing like there's different there's different things but i think they've come at a good time and i think they play a big part in our sport i think in action yeah. sports in general no matter freestyle scooter bmx skateboard they're all we're all benefiting from it right now so it's good yeah all these companies have popped up in the last like three four years it feels like like they haven't they haven't yeah. been around that long that's where you got to be careful you got to look and pick and like do your research on those things because that's where you can find yourself in a problem is if you buy a cheap bag yeah um i mean but like bmx and scooters i think you can buy cheap bags and you can get away with it it's not too yeah, bad not too um, big of a deal you can kind of have yeah it's, it's not too big of a deal it's kind of a lot uh, you can have a lot of fun and you can get cheap bags and yeah they're worth it but um i know in the freestyle world you get a cheap bag and yeah things can go awfully wrong so um you got to be yeah you got to do your research and pick the right bags in the freestyle world but yeah i think that they've uh there's definitely a lot of them they've sprung up and um yeah they're they're definitely helping the sport yeah do you do they use airbags in nitro yep yep oh, okay yep so oh, we use them a bit. yep nice um do you have an a foam pit at your house yeah yep got a foam pit because yep. i was talking to james a while ago he came on uh the show and and he was talking about how he like hated foam pits like with a passion because he's like yeah. gas getting all dumped over you you feel like you're going to start on fire it's like it's like i i used them to learn backflips and that was it yeah you pretty much you pretty much just learn what you need to learn and then you don't use them if that yeah. makes sense like if i want to learn body burials or double flips like i'll go down and use it but as far as like going you know if like i haven't flipped for like you say i had an accident you haven't flipped for eight months to a year and you're a little bit hesitant you're like oh I need to go spin one in the pit just to make sure everything's good, right? Yeah. You can use that. Like even people talk about like, oh, do you, you know, do you use air uh, foam pits to learn seat grabs and basic tricks? I'm like, no, you don't. You just you learn those to dirt. So mainly yeah. like backflips or big big flip tricks or things like that. You use the foam pit, but yeah, no one really likes them. They're not fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're claustrophobic, they they suck. If you don't like foam foam dust or gas on you oh, or whatever yeah they're not that's for sure but um no they're good 
they're, they're, they're like, I like it because I can have people come over and learn tricks and teach people how to do it. And it's not even necessarily for me nowadays either. It's like to help other kids and people in even in other sports, people like BMX neighborhood kids come and ride it. And um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's good just to help everyone. It's just a good thing, a good tool to have. So just, yeah, just a good thing. How did you end up getting one? Like, what was the process like to set one up? Did you buy it from somebody else? Like, how did you get the phone? Um, no, I just, uh, yeah, basically with the welder, like just welding up the framework and doing all the fencing and stuff. We did that, man, me and two of my buddies and, um, just what car, like, so we use like chain link fencing around the outsides with a, with a metal frame. And then, uh, one of the sides is one of the, one of the three, uh, one of the four walls is a, uh, shipping container, like a 45 foot shipping container. So, uh, you can like stand up on there as like a viewing platform and stuff like that. I have oh, like okay. a crane, I have one of my cranes that's sitting on there so you can use it to get out of the foam pit as well. Um, yeah. so it's just like some different things like that. Um, yeah, they're just, they're, they're pretty, pretty helpful to have. That's for sure. But to make them, uh, yeah, it's quite, a, quite an effort and it doesn't happen overnight. Like it's like a bit of a process. So you, you know, you start off with the fencing and then you, get like car tires for the bottom for a bit of bit of cushion and then yeah then the net the hardest part is getting the phone the most expensive hardest part is getting the phone so yeah, sure i was super lucky that um i had a connection with a trampoline one of those indoor trampoline parks and a lot of those places have actually been taking their phone pits out and putting them uh airbags in there yeah so um the trampoline parks gave me a fair bit of pl- uh the first round enough for me to jump bmx bikes in and then so because it's like 35 foot wide and 45 foot long so it's a lot of like over probably eight foot eight nine foot deep in the middle so um you know it's, it's a lot of fun uh yeah, so that brian, a lot of fun. yeah brian deegan gave me his old phone pit so i just had to take i took a shipping container over to his place and took my skid steer over there and took basically took foam out of his phone pit and loaded into the shipping container until that was full and then just did two ro- two or three runs with the shipping container back and forth from my phone pit to his and um we did that then that got most of the foam up but it's really his phone's like nasty bad foam but you use it at the bottom of the phone pit um yeah make like a crater and then and the next step was getting better foam. So these other trampoline parks in COVID went out of um, business. So basically we went and took all their foam and um, like they gave it to us and that filled up my foam pit last year to the full amount for, for big bikes. So yeah, worked out pretty good. Nice. So you've only had it for like a year, have you? Have I've, you? Had, I've had it for more, but we use, when I used Deegan's foam, I used it a bit, but on big bike it was enough, but it was just disgusting. I could it wasn't it wasn't pleasant yeah when i got next when i got the next load of foam it made it like officially like good yeah nice so i actually didn't spend like people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on foam pits like ridiculous yeah like I, i probably spent maybe like i got all the foam pretty much for free so like transport and all that mate i probably spent like 10 15 grand maybe on my phone pit maybe really that's maybe not maybe not even like to be honest not like, much money but a lot of a lot of time dude just a lot of time like you've got to, that's the thing too you've got to be like 
you got to want it. You got to be able to like want to put in the work and do the hard yards. Like it's labor. It's not like it's it's a labor job, right? Like you got to yeah. go and do work. It's that's it. Exactly. So that so you've either got to want to do that or you're not going to have a phone pit. No one's going to make it for you unless you pay them. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's exciting. That kind of work is exciting too. I'm kind of wondering your journey on backflips. When did you end up learning them? So BMX bike, I learned when I was 14, learned into like the, like we lived on a river. So we just set up a ramp into the river, learned that. Then I went to my very first ever, um, my very ever first freestyle show was my hometown show at like 15 years old. I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And I was on a 125 at the time, the ramp, like we had it set up at like 50 feet or something. It was like me, my brother and a couple of mates. And we did like a, I was like my very first ever like freestyle show, but I'll never, I didn't do freestyle. I just did trick. Like just did no footers and maybe yeah. a heel click, no hander or something back then. It was super basic. So that was around that time that I learned, yeah, backflip on a BMX bike. And I did, a, they had um, on the freestyle lander, they had a dirt lander. And on the backside, you'd roll in and hit a uh, three pack or six pack of um, dirt jumps for BMX guys. So the local BMX guys learned to do backflips at the same time as I did. So, they would do oh, backflips wow. on the dirt jump. So I was like in my riding moto gear, full geared up boots on a BMX bike. I did my first backflip to dirt. And so <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was my first like introduction to flipping a bicycle. And then um think like what, 2005 or something, oh, 06, maybe 06. It would have been like a uh, an XR50 at my buddy Jake Williams' house. We did, uh, we set up like this little ramp and, we just we decided we we're going to backflip that, and uh, yeah. so we backflipped the the one ten uh, one uh, it was a XR fifty I think it was back then. Flipped that, then two thousand start of two thousand or two thousand and seven I backflipped forty five foot on a on my two fifty F into the foam pit with Cam Sinclair. That was the first time I'd flipped a big full size bike into a foam pit. Then two thousand and Ten, like January or February 2010, I backflipped uh, to a sand pile on my 252 stroke. Um, that yeah. was my first backflip on a full size bike to dirt. It was 2010, the start of 2010, and then my first 75 foot backflip was 2012. Oh, okay. So, yeah, first, yeah, 75 foot flip. So I did 2010, I did my first sand pile flip, and then I did 45 and 55 foot to dirt in 2010. And then I didn't flip 75 to dirt until 2012. Um, so that was kind of cool because, like, for years, so since 2007, I'd flipped into a foam pit. I'd flipped a 45 foot super kicker and I did a flip off a 75 foot ramp, did two of those in 2007. So from 07 to 2012 was how long it took me to really be like set on the back flip. So from learning it to dirt to um, doing it to 75 foot and being comfortable was yeah. 07, 12. Yeah. So Jeez. Took, took a while, took a little bit. Um, even to do the back flip, I remember like learning it at my buddy Maddie Lewis's house. Um, me and Joel Brown, who's actually a really good freestyler from Australia. Um, uh, uh, no, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, 
what am I? Did I say Joel Brown? Um, why am I mental blanking right now? No, you're good. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, cut this out of the thing. But anyway, um, me and my buddy learned to do a flip. Um, uh, on the same day, seventy-five foot. So we started at um, what, like thirty-five foot off a super kicker, and then we flipped it and then we're like right when we go over to this other um ramp when we go to this other room we're going to set the ramp up at 55 foot and we're going to flip that at 55 foot and then we're going to do it in second gear because that's the hardest part 55 foot you could do in first gear and our biggest thing was going to second gear and then you spin right. fast do the when you gear do a gear higher so you spin a lot quicker and um like, all right, when we go from 45 to 55, we just need to click second gear and we just need to go over to that ramp and we just need to go for it. So we flipped it in second gear, pulled it off, and then we just started moving the ramp back to 75 foot, like five foot increments uh, at a time. And, um, okay. yeah, I mean, we were back at 75 and, and uh, yeah, we were, we were sorted. So it was pretty dope. You yeah. just kind of got to work your way into it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I had a really hard mental block with going upside down on my scooter for the longest time and I just learned them. So I, I'm always interested in other people's stories when Dude, it comes I have to back backflips. I have backflip to scooter. Yeah, that's what uh <laughs> that's what James said too. He's like, did our Willie teach you at the same time or was it a different time? <laughs> yeah, I learned um way back in the day, like Oh, okay. When I when I learned backflip a scooter, backflips on scooters had probably not even really been done. To be honest with you, not I'm not yeah. trying to claim. No, right, no, 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 no. But dude, like, I did a backflip on a scooter. It was a razor scooter, <laughs> a razor, and I had like we had like the shopping trolley, like shopping cart for the handlebar. You know, you yeah, know yeah, I know, what, I know what you're talking about. Dude, we like used to put bolts in the in the in the fold up part. And yeah. Dude, like this is way back in the day. Like honestly, I could probably I, like this was before Ryan Williams back with the fucking scooter. That's before Ryan Williams probably even rode a scooter. W- really? <laughs> w- when was what? this? Do you know? It would have been like would have been like oh six or oh seven for sure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Easy would have been oh six or oh seven because I. It was when I was back with my BMX bike. So we ended up taking like a mattress down to the local skate park. And there was a f- like a five foot at the Daniliquin skate park. It's like a five foot like fly out. And I just, I remember like giving, getting some kid's scooter. And I was like, let me flip it because I was flipping my BMX bike. I'm like, I can flip that. And I'm like, so I flipped. And the first one, the scooter just went frigging flying. <laughs> yeah. over, like probably like 50 feet back in the skate yeah. park. And, um, and then uh, I was like, oh, I gotta just hold on, like keep your feet on, just like push down, you know, keep your yeah. feet on the on the board, and uh, pulled it off. I like, got it, a, got it a few times. I used to love, <laughs> so I used to, that's what, that was my thing because like I couldn't do nothing down at the skate park. Like I could air the quarters and like alley oop and tail tap and yeah. do a backflip. That's it. Yeah. Like I could do nothing and then a backflip. So like <laughs> you know, after I'd finished school. I'd have my backpack on. I'd be riding home. Like I used to live like nine Ks out of town, but I used to just ride into town and ride my BMX bike at the park. And yeah. So I was like, I used to love doing it because no one would really flip in town. There's only like a handful, like my two other people that were my brother's age 
that would backflip, but they were like the local pros. So yeah, for me, it was like, that was how I showed off. Like <laughs> no one flipped. So like, I just come down with my backpack on, come flying through the skate park, backflip out of the fly up and keep riding and ride home. Like it was like, you know, it was the thing. Backpack on? Yeah, that's how I used to show what? off. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so gnarly, dude. <laughs> yeah, but like people would be like, yeah, because kids are just love it, but I couldn't do anything else. I could just do a backflip. So it was like the cool thing to do. That's so, so awesome. So yeah. what's what's your experience with uh like BMX and scooter and skateboard? Have you done them all? Dude, honestly, yeah, like I loved BMX. Like I was always helping my buddies build BMX dirt jumps. I was always like I was part of the committee growing up to build like the BMX jumps and BMX trails and like um yeah, I was always involved with BMX in my local town. Like, just loved riding BMX with my mates and um, skateboarding. My br- my younger brother's actually a really good skateboarder. So, okay. uh, back in the day, I just did it for fun. Um, I could drop in, do a rock the fakie. That's about as far as I got. Maybe an yeah. ollie or a kickflip. Um, scootering. I was kind of like right at the start, like I said, like with the handlebars and stuff like that. Like when scootering was like razor scooters with like taking off. Like I was part yeah. of that. Not part wow. of that era. But like I like started to like. I really like me and a couple of friends started to like think about it and like getting into it. And then that obviously just riding and stuff was more important. But yeah. Um, so I've always like I've That's always crazy. Loved, I've always loved those sports like um x games like whenever they ask me about like interviews and stuff or what could be new for x games i'm, I'm like i'm probably like the biggest advocate for scooters like <laughs> obviously like as every, obviously awesome. we always uh, gave scooter kids like a hard time growing up and it was well, of like, course like, you have to but i was one of them so like <laughs> yeah. i don't care like i think scooters are badass i think it like it's an in-between sport of yeah skating and bmx and it's good for kids to get into and at X Games, they always ask me, like, what do you think X Games could do that could be bigger and better? I'm like, you need to get scooters in because uh, half of the population of action sports is into scooters. And if we want our sports to grow, we need those kids in, um, yeah. in games. So, like, for me, I think X Games is missing the point. Like, you guys need to be in X Games competing for medals because that's a sport and kids yeah. are loving it. So, like... It's crazy because I'm a moto guy, but I'm always like vouching for the scooter world because it's like I just see value in our sport with that's just a part of our action sports. So yeah, um, yeah awesome, I've always dude. been into been into other sports, and I, I mean I don't like ball sports. I'm not into any of the yeah. team the team sport type stuff. Like good on them. Like I'm not hating on their sports. Like it's good that people play sports, but I just love action sports. Like anything that we do, like action sports related wakeboarding snowboarding you know yeah. skiing bicycles mountain biking motorcycles skate scooter like all rollerblading all that stuff to me is just like badass like it's yeah they're, they're individual sports people just you know you have a support team behind you yeah but it's at the end of the day it's you kicking the goals right yeah so, I love that. That's, that's it's so thinking. like personal that like you can kind of yeah. feel other people's battles. The other thing yeah. is like I think that going back to like scootering is the in between sport that you were saying, it totally is. It has a le- easier learning curve, which people are like oh scootering is easy. It is, but it gets people into skating and BMX or yeah. just into yeah. action sports. So yeah. it totally has its place there, even if you don't get to the next kids level. Will see, kids will be out scootering and then 
you know, they might go to a Nitro Circus show or something and then they're like, oh, there's Moto. Oh, that sport looks cool. Yeah. I would mind trying that. Or you see somebody like, for me, like Ryan Williams, who's a legend, and yeah. it's like he goes over and messes around with BMX and now he's like one of the best BMXs in the world. It's like... <laughs> It's wild. You know, you know, yeah, I love it. I reckon it's sick. It, yeah. Know, you can just express yourself like that and do what you want. And and then it helps other people in other sports too. So Yeah. And you have um you you have a baby coming, don't you? Yeah. When? Mm. Uh October seventeenth is the due do you, due date. Do you know do you know gender yet? Or are you waiting for that? Yeah, I've got a boy coming. Nice. Yeah, a little sick. Jared McDeal. Yeah, so That's gonna be awesome. He's gonna have all the toys. Oh yeah, all the toys he ever wants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. How do you how do you expect that to like change? Does is, do you expect it to change your career at all, or like? Um, how do you feel about it? Don't know. I don't. I, I'm excited because I think um, just I don't know. I'm at, I'm at a point in my career where I'm a bit I'm a bit older now and. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah. this is just gonna have something I'm gonna be caring about, and things are gonna be a little bit different as far as maybe just my choices in life, and uh, kind of, I don't know. Who knows? Like my career, like who knows what my career will do. Um, obviously, I want to keep riding and making money and living and support my family as long as I can from riding. But who knows? Um, who knows? Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh. Yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm excited because it's cool to have to raise a kid. I think that's going to be yeah. everyone telling me it's like the biggest achievement. You know, all, all the medals I've ever won and all those things will go out the door. This is having a child is probably a big biggest achievement. So, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully, my life doesn't change too much and it might make it funner because yeah. now I'll be able to share something with the with a kid and. Uh, I'll see what that kid chooses to do, what it, what what my child wants to do, and who knows? Yeah. I'll let him you know, give him the tools to pick from and just see what he does with them. Yeah, that's uh, the way to do it for sure. Just, I'm sure he'll be great in some kind of action sport or whatever he yeah, whatever he hopefully. finds. Yeah, yeah whatever he successful does. in whatever he figures out to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's that's such a cool thing. You'll be an awesome dad. So that's yeah, gonna, that's gonna be sick. So. uh yeah, I have a couple more questions for you before we end. Um, where do you kind of see yourself in 10 years? 10 years. Uh, mm, honestly, uh, I don't know, it might sound silly, but I don't know. I want to, um, I'd like to start up my own like contracting business and have, uh, be able to like employ my friends and uh, kind of get people moving and people have jobs and I don't know, that's what I want to do to see. I just want to have all my friends working for me and uh, have a, have some sort of business running where I can employ my friends and uh, yeah, I guess writing shows and kind of just having fun with writing and enjoying my family at that time. I think uh, I guess I'm uh, who knows, there's some young kids coming up in the sport. They might push me out and uh, yeah. who knows? I don't know. I don't want to say my career's, at the end, because I'm only like 29 now, so I've still got yeah. a little bit more more time. Got a good another five, ten years left in me to uh, be able to, you know, probably do some more competitions and uh, definitely do shows. Um, but 
yeah, I'd like to do some projects. I'd love to, I'd love to try and get some sort of project done in my career where like a big, you know, whether it's some sort of like maybe some sort of documentary film on me of like my career or something like a real, like high production, so, something like that. Uh, I'd like to maybe try and get some sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe some sort of competition or some sort of like live show or something where um, it's kind of like my, what I want to do, like something that really showcases what I like. Um, I don't know. There's yeah. multiple different things, but um, yeah, just a couple of different things like getting older. So I want to set myself up after riding. I think that's probably the main focus is a lot of people in our sport don't um, try and set themselves up with a job or a career after riding. And um, people need to realize that good things can come to an end. So uh, you got to have that in the back of your mind. So uh, having a kid is going to make me realize things real fast. So um, I don't want to find myself having no shows and not being set up for my life in the future. So for the, for the next 10 years, I think uh, setting up a business and riding as many shows and competitions as many as th many things as I can. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yep. Um, yeah. Also, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Like if you could see yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell them? If I could tell myself 10 years ago, what, like, would it be what good to do or what not to do? Whatever. <laughs> That's what do you think? Whatever you want to tell yourself. <laughs> what would I tell myself 10 years ago? 10 years ago, never give up. Don't stop. Yeah. That's one thing I'd say because like back then I never stopped. I never thought of it, but I'd probably say 10 years. Like if I was yeah, 10 years ago, it would have been 19. If I had stopped, I wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing now. So I would say don't. Whatever it is, even if it's good or bad, like as far as if you think you're in, like it's the end, don't okay. think it's the end because, um, you know, things can evolve and become better. Like honestly, like last uh, from COVID, it took, took a toll on my mental state, like just going from touring for 10 years straight being doing unlimited shows, making unlimited amounts of money, like just being so productive and working and doing stuff. And then to just be told to stay home for a year or so, it's like pretty crazy to think, all right, like what's yeah. going to happen in the world financially, where am I need to be, blah, blah. Even to the point where I spent so much time at home realizing like, wh where are my friends? Like where, where have I, where have my friendships gone over the last 10 years? Like, do I need to like be a better friend or I need to like, I've been so focused on my career that friendships and stuff needed more time. So like you just kind of find yourself almost being lonely. You're like, Hold, yeah. I've got my missus, a couple of friends, but like, where's my friends? Like, where's the group? So I found myself actually in a bit of a funk and like pretty not depressed, but like definitely like hit rock bottom, like yeah. watching watching how the governments are at the moment, like just the ridiculous government that the world has right now. Yeah. Fucking shit just falling apart. Sorry to speak like that. But, no, you're good. Uh, but yeah, just crazy stuff going on, friendships, uh, my writing, people getting shows, me not getting shows, being like, why, what am I doing wrong? What, you know, like what's happening really just broke me down. I got to a point where I was like, the world is just fake. I'm over it. I'm sick of everything. I'm sick of trying this. I'm like 
not getting this and just crushed me for like a little bit. And at that point, I was like, had hit rock bottom. I was like, you know, like I was like at the point, like, like these people don't hit me up to hang out and do things. Like why? Like I'm always trying to do stuff with these people. Like, and then when I hit rock bottom, like mentally and was over everything, said everything was fake and everything's all just crap and just like gave up. I was like, done. I'm just going to go do me. I'm going to do my thing and go out and just be me. And yeah. literally, as soon as I did that, people started hitting me up. People like I got shows. I was like, it was the most weird. Dude, I got goosebumps from it. Like the weirdest thing. Like Wild. literally gave up. Like I was so annoyed. I was so frustrated at other writers, people, the world, life, everything. Just so frustrated. And then literally after I gave up and said like, stuff this, I'm done. Yeah. Random stuff started happening. So weird. yeah, like that's just, awesome. Like, like three months ago so like this is this year you know like this has yeah. happened this is like coming into the new year of like realizing whoa is stuff action this is at the start of the year where whoa are we going into another year of this or what where are we going yeah so like i don't know just to say like to go back to your question is like don't give up because i feel like don't give up in that aspect like give up as far as like let everything go and be like stuff it like yeah. don't care about those things but and then just keep moving forward and give like don't don't put so much into what the future has to be but just like think forward and what you kind of would like it to be but don't put all your eggs in the basket and be like i'm gonna get that because it doesn't always work like that but not but the, this is where it's deceiving it's like as a kid dreaming is the best thing you can ever do right my career was a dream that became a reality. So you can always dream, but I'm saying like when you hit, you got to hit rock bottom throughout your life. You've got to hit that point where you need change or where you, where you have to give up and be like, let's just move forward and see what it does, you know? Wow. So, kind of weird thinking that like, I don't know. It's just, no, yeah. I love that. Cause like yeah. you don't really realize what COVID did to people in the profession like you. Dude, like that's the thing. Like I've got everything I could ever ask for. Like, you know, like yeah. got a missus, got a kid on the way, got cars, tractors, motorcycles, all the toys you could ever ask for from riding a motorcycle. But you can still hit rock bottom and be like, and it's not the fact of being like, I want more of this and that and this and that. It's like you maybe just want things to be a little better in life. Like you maybe want to have some better friendships or just a couple of different things that are a little better in certain ways and you maybe you don't have them so you so you hit rock bottom and then maybe things start opening up better for you that's how i've failed it to work out for me but yeah definitely i mean people in professional careers are are all humans at the end of the day right like yeah people come up and they're like oh you're so normal you're so i'm like i know yeah (laughs) i'm a human being like treat me the same and i'll treat you the same like it's so crazy that famous people have put such a crap thought into people's brains that there is normal professional people out there that are high profile that are normal like it's so crazy like it sucks that you know like i've met so many rude people in in the whole famous world but yeah. i met so many good people and i it sucks that there's 
It sucks that there's more good people, but the majority of the idiot ones wreck it for all of us. Like, you know, like people like messaging me like, oh, I seen you at Supercross on the weekend. Oh, I just didn't want to come up. I'm like, dude, why are you not come up and say hello to me? No. Like, Come and say hello to me because I want to inspire you to do what I do and go out and be like me or do what I do or be you and go do it. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like that's the inspiration a lot of people need is to be able to talk to people that oh. are good at something or that they look up to. Like, um, yeah, so that stuff blows me away as well. You're like, my only goal is to make you want to ride motorcycles more, yeah. So come <laughs> and talk to me, right? Yeah, exactly. So, because that's that's how everybody in action sports is. It feels like it's like if you're like a high profile person, you're just like there to build the sport. Exactly that's how you feel that's about. Therefore, yeah, we we love the sport. We want more people like them to in, be interested in our sport, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wild. So, um, good. One last question for you. Yeah. What is your meaning of life and why? My meaning of life. <laughs> my meaning of life um i don't even know what's the meaning the meaning of life uh not even I, the meaning of life but like your meaning of life like what makes you like happy what makes you like get up in the morning like those kind of things life yeah that that it's just we have a life you get yeah. up and live right i think like what's the meaning of life like you have a life what are you going to do like yeah. <laughs> you're alive. like you wake up in the morning and you're alive yeah so like get up and live like you know i think that's like i don't like yeah i don't just motive like does dirt bikes motivate me to get up yeah do i wake up in the morning like oh yeah not necessarily does it's just life waking up and we've got the opportunity of a life being able to go get up and have be able to breathe fresh air and get out and do whatever you want yeah so like it doesn't it doesn't have to be like a chosen thing that makes me wake up every morning you know it's like yeah let's say like it doesn't it's, a, it's just being able to wake up and i guess being able to wake up and do what i want to do that's life like i literally have set up a life that i can wake up in the morning right now and if I want to go ride or if I want to go hang out with friends or if I want to go work, I have the freedom to wake up and do as I choose to, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that's pretty gnarly. Um, I want to inspire other people through life. Like I just met, like I would hope that I leave a good impression. People look, look up to me and um, would, I guess I just want to leave a good, uh, live a good life and leave a good life for others to look up to. And yeah. Um, yeah, I guess just keep living. I, I don't well, know if that answers it or not. But. Yeah, just kind of meeting you at the Deadwood All In show, I was just inspired by the fact that you're just like so upbeat and so happy all the time. That's kind of why I wanted to like talk to you. You just have like a very like love on life kind of persona. So like, yeah. where does that come from? Just who no you idea. I think it's just being a human, right? Yeah. Like, I think we've all like right now just looking at all people on instagram social media and like all this news and stuff like everyone's just this like i said earlier everyone's just, just fake right it's just a fake yeah. world with you know, people trying way too hard to do do to do to do different things and like they're just fake they're not really who they set out to be and for me 
I feel like I want to be as honest as I can possibly be. I can be brutally honest with you. I can be straight up honest with you. I can be nice, friendly. I can be angry. I can be all of it. I just, yeah. whatever, whenever I talk to someone, I want them to see who I am from the get-go. Um, I don't want to be fake. I, you know, like, I just want, that's how people should be. Like, we shouldn't have to be told to treat others the same. Like, we should just wake up and treat others the same, right? Like, yeah. the, where you come from, what race you are, what skin color you have. Like these people on social media going, you need to do this. You need to be like this. You need to, ah, uh, uh. And you're like, no. When no. I woke up this morning, I knew that I should treat somebody the same. I knew that I should be like this. Like this, this way of like people like have to be taught how to act is just so stupid. Yeah. To me. Like my parents were just like, <laughs> my parents were like, hey, be a good kid. Grow up. Look, we, we prefer you to stay away from drugs and alcohol and don't do this and be safe and do this, right? Yeah. That's what they did. They didn't hound us. They didn't. Like My parents were the most amazing parents, and I think that is what – I think my parents were so amazing at us kids growing up that they never had to – they were so good that they never had to be those parents that you – you know, that you, yeah. you're your friends. Like, no, Jimmy, you're not going to – go to that after party you're not going to underage drink and do all this like my parents were really cool they let us have a bit of freedom but we always made right decisions so yeah. i don't know man like people there's too many untrained kids that yeah. are but that are trying to be trained as adults yeah <laughs> i know what you're talking about yeah. it's yeah and you can't yeah. train it it's already got it it's already got its way of life so um yeah i don't know man wow. i just want to leave I just want to live a good life and leave a, leave a good impression and hope that everyone else would live the same or have the same values in life as what I would. Like, I, I feel like I think pretty good and I'd hope yeah. people would, I'd hope people should want to think the same. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Wow. Yeah. That was really good, Jared. Thank you for that. That was, that was You're awesome. Right, man. Yeah. Um, Sweet. So thank you for coming on the podcast again, taking the time out of your day. It means a lot to me. So thank you. Um, no, I and for uh, everybody out there listening, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for making it to the end. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to hit the like and hit the subscribe button. That would mean the world to me. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please go down and give me five stars. Thank you guys again for listening and have a great rest of your day.